Learning scripture, knowing Christ. Welcome to the Hashtag One Fear podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This week's episode is the second half of the conversation that we had with Marsha Montenegro on the New Age sneaking into the church. Uh, So if you have any questions from last week or anything after this episode uh, concerning anything New Age or whatever comes to mind, uh, send us your questions, send Marsha your questions. I'm sure she will not mind that at all. Uh, you can, if you have any questions, you can actually even go to her website or look things up on fa- her Facebook, uh, for any specific questions, uh, specific topics that you might have. She is a, uh, not only a wonderful person, uh, but a, a wonderful, uh, resource for that kind of stuff because she knows exactly what she's talking about. Also, before we get into the episode, uh, rate, review, share, and all that. And without any further ado, here we go. So where does uh, guided meditation fall into... Uh, is it, does it fall into that category of uh, contemplative spirituality? <clears throat> That's a very good question because I would say that it is something that falls into both contemplative spirituality and the New Age. Um, guided meditation is a New Age practice that I started warning about years ago before the Enneagram or contemplative stuff was really a big thing. Uh, because guided visualization and guided guided imagery and guided meditation, those are three different terms. They're, they're sometimes the same thing, but not always. Guided imagery is when somebody is using images as telling you what to picture in your mind. That And that could also be guided visualization. So, you know, mm-hmm. visualize this in your mind. And it's done as part of a a process where... The person doing it is, first of all, he tells you things to get you relaxed. So you get into a relaxed state. And actually, the relaxed state is a hypnotic state. So what you're doing are practices of self-inducing hypnosis. And when you're in that state, you're very... And so that's not the same as just being relaxed. I don't want people to think that when they're relaxing, they're... (laughs) They're getting into hypnotic When you go to bed at night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's hypnosis is not the same as relaxing. It's not daydreaming. It's not when you're getting sleepy or falling asleep. That is not hypnosis. Now, you can be in a hypnotic state and fall asleep, but they're not the same thing. So hypnosis is a special state of mind that you're brought into through certain techniques or certain things that happen that puts you in that state. So it has to be done deliberately. It doesn't usually happen accidentally unless there's a person who knows what they're doing in terms of hypnosis and you're listening to them. Um, You may not realize that they're doing it, but it has to be done deliberately. And so um, it's really mainly the power of suggestion, but you, you, you get somebody in that state and then you tell them to visualize certain things for whatever reason. There's different reasons for doing this. Um, I went through this guided imagery, guided visualization. That's how I met my, my main spirit guide. And 
Can you can you explain what a spirit guide is? Yeah, to, to yeah. This is something used in the New Age and the occult. Um, everybody uh, believes in these spirit guides who are okay. Now the New Age view is that these are beings um, on another in another kind of dimension or another plane of reality. Uh, and there's different views of who they are. Like some New Agers might think they're angels. Some New Agers might think that they are people who live many lives on earth and they evolved to this point where they're so spiritually advanced that they don't have to reincarnate anymore. And they're in this kind of dimension where they will guide people on earth through their spiritual journey. Okay, that's that's how I saw my, my yeah. spirit guide. That's a very common yeah. view. Um, and to clarify, it's not a human. It's, it's not, not a person. It's not it's, a person yeah. of flesh and blood. They're not. Yeah, they're yeah, not. Because they're not in a body, a actual physical yeah. body. They make because in in the terminology, I could see people in the church anyway being like, oh, spirit guide. That sounds like a spiritual director. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, which is would be maybe a spiritual guide, but not a spirit guide because spirit guide means it's a yeah. spirit. So yeah, they're disembodied. They're disembodied beings. Um, and I mean, you can have animal, you can have animal spirits too. They don't call them guides, but they're called animal spirits. And they, of course, don't guide you the way a spirit guide, but they may represent something to you or be protective of you or something like that. Now, a lot of these concepts believe, well, this concept of the spirit guy of the animal thing, um, along with another new age concept is very big in Harry Potter with his Patronus. And I did a Facebook post on that uh, because when I read that in Harry Potter, which I think desensitized the church to the occult, when I read that part of the, of the story of, of him conjuring up the Patronus, um, I thought of two things. One was the animal spirit guide and the other was the thought form. Conjuring a thought form is something practiced in the new age where you conjure up another being. Now, in this case, it wouldn't be an animal, but the process is similar and it it's independent of you, but it's part of you and it's connected to you. Uh, and this actually comes from what I understand. This comes from esoteric. Well, Tibetan Buddhism is very esoteric. But there are parts of it that are even more esoteric than other parts. And there are practices of um, in Tibetan Buddhism called, um, you create what's called a tulpa, T-U-L-P-A. And a tulpa is another being that you can create with your mind through a certain process uh, that then exists distinct from you, but it's connected to you. Uh, so I, I'm not sure, but I think that's where the thought forms came from in the new age. And there may be other, that practice itself may just be a shamanistic practice. That may be something practiced, uh, around the world in different, um, you know, sh- shamanic pa- practices. Uh, so I, I, in fact, that would be my guess that it's probably not just in Tibetan Buddhism because Tibetan Buddhism, the, the, um, influence on Tibetan Buddhism a lot of it comes from the indigenous religion of Bon in Tibet that existed in Tibet before Buddhism came to Tibet. Because Buddhism, of course, came later. And before to Buddhism came to Tibet, there were people living there and their religion 
was this Bon, this indigenous religion called Bon, B-O-N. And there are practices from that that are, are very shamanistic that I think entered uh, Tibetan Buddhism. Now, the Dalai Lama denies that. He has tried to deny that Tibetan Buddhism has anything to do with Bon, but it clearly does. Um, you know, the, the deities they have in Tibetan Buddhism and things like that. Because you don't have Tibetan uh, Buddhism doesn't have a god or any deities. But you have them in Tibetan Buddhism. And you have all these very esoteric occult practices that I think come from um, the Bon religion. So I don't, I'm getting too far off the topic here. So we were, we actually, I was talking about contemplative um, practices, which I think is what we were going to land on. And that was the fourth, uh, what I call new age influence. And I should say why I'm calling it new age, because so far I haven't really said that, um, except maybe this guided visualization thing, because, uh, the ideas that you find in the contemplative spirituality, uh, some of the ideas overlap with New Age ideas. It's not New Age in and of itself, um, but it's almost like a kind of Christianized kind of New Age thing because some of the ideas of um, connecting to God through these experiences that you you have when you're doing these contemplative practices that's supposed to connect you to God, or maybe you're supposed to hear God or hear from God, whether it's a, sometimes it's a voice, uh, but many times, most of the time it's not in the main contemplative movement. And people like Ruth Haley Barton uh, do not say you hear an audible voice, but they do believe God communicates to you in your spirit, this inward kind of thing that's going on, uh, when you're doing these practices. And this is, you know, in the new age, everything is very subjective. And it's how you're feeling or what you think you're hearing or what you think is being revealed to you. And that determines truth for you. That's how you determine truth. And that's very much how it is in contemplative spirituality. You are um, dealing with uh, so my son just came in. He's going to do an errand for me. <laughs> Hi, honey. Oh, um, and, and by the way, um, Dominic, when you told me how old, how old well, you told me when you graduated from high school and everything, you're yeah. about you're like a year younger than my son. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> or you're you're about yeah. his age or so, somewhere around yeah. there. I have to. I'm not good at math, but it's <laughs> you're you and he are about maybe a year apart or something. So <laughs> yeah. I'm, so um, I'm 41. Huh. I'm 41. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's uh, actually, oh, you're just a tiny bit older. No, no, wait. He's, okay. That's how old he is. Wait, what's this? This is 2023. <laughs> you're going to think, oh, my gosh, we have a guest on who doesn't know what year it is. Wait. <laughs> I have to remind myself all the time, too. It's all right. I do. I have to stop and think. This is 2023 because it just seems to have gotten here so fast. I can't quite oh, yeah. believe it's 2023 to yeah. tell you the truth. That's that's what I'm having trouble with. Yeah, no, he turned 41 last October on Halloween. Oh, okay, so he's just a little bit older than me. Okay, he's just you just yeah. turned 41. Yeah, because I because I turned 41 in December. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, me and Britney Spears, we have the same birthday. Oh, you and Britney Spears. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, we're both friends. <laughs> I see Danielle's I'm the better laughing. Looking there. One, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, I'm the better looking one, though. <laughs> that is really funny. So, yeah, you're less than two months uh, younger than him because he was born on my birthday, Halloween, which is another interesting thing that I was born on Halloween. And I talk <laughs> about Wicca and the occult, and I just, I just find that hilarious. I, I, you know, I think to me that's the Lord, you know, it's kind of like the Lord's sense of humor or something that <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely ironic. <laughs> yeah. And so he's probably like, God's probably thinking, you know what, let's put this on her resume too. <laughs> yeah, you could sure <laughs> put that in. <laughs> so this contemplative practices because it doesn't have any basis in scripture. I probably should try to give some kind of description of it. What it is, is this, um, these methods that one does that are sometimes called disciplines, spiritual disciplines, that supposedly enhance your growth as a Christian and supposedly help you be closer to God connect to God, be more aware of his presence and love, etc. But the thing is, the methods that they prescribe for this are not based on scripture. They're based on a mixture of um, some medieval monastic practices. Uh, and I believe that's where the term spiritual disciplines comes from uh, and spiritual director as well. And they're based on some pagan practices and pagan concepts, some of which are found in the book, The Cloud of Unknowing. Now, the contemplative prayer movement, which I should mention because I mentioned the three Trappist monks earlier. So I should say who they are. Thomas Keating and Basil Pennington and John um, Menninger. Now, I always forget whether he's John or William. I'm sorry. I always forget he's either John or William Menninger. So I usually call him by the wrong first name. So I want to say both because I'm in case I'm wrong. One of them's wrong. So I know one of them is wrong. <laughs> um, he's the one who I don't think wrote anything, but he is the one who died most recently. I think he just died maybe earlier this year. Keating died, I believed in 2018 and Basil Pennington died a number of years before that. I think it was either, maybe 2007 or something like that. But Basil Pennington and Thomas Keating both wrote books, and I've read some of their books written by each of them. And Thomas Keating is the one I heard speak in person in 2005 and I talked to personally. And he is probably the most well-known of the three because he uh, was very vocal about uh, contemplative prayer and traveled around speaking on it and also was very good friends with Richard Rohr and Richard Rohr was influenced by Thomas Keating. I have heard Richard Rohr say this. He admired Thomas Keating and said he learned from him. And I can, under, I can see that. I can see why they were compatible. Uh, so Thomas Keating is a very important figure in this whole conversation. Now, I do have an article on Thomas Keating based on the lecture I heard from him at that church. I wrote about the lecture and what he said because he takes some scripture and he completely misuses them. And this is another thing I want to say about the contemplative prayer movement is that every scripture I have seen used to support any of the contemplative practices has been misused. It is either taken out of context or it's given a meaning that is not the scriptural meaning. 
every single one. I have yet to see yeah. one one verse or one passage of scripture that supports any of the contemplative practices. So, and what, I have been examining this for a long for a long time. I mean, since the late 1990s. Yeah. What what are if you could think of any off the top of your head, what are some oh, verses that Oh yeah, use? be still and know that I'm God's a big one. Oh yeah. Um yeah. and so they will take that and say that's supposed to mean you you're still you're quiet and you you know and that's the way you get connect with God or hear from God. Um that's you have to still um and also being silent. They'll take verses about silence in the Bible. Now I did a, a study on that and looked up all the verses that use silent or be silent or let silent let there be silence. And they're both in the Old and New Testament. And usually that's connected with being in awe of God, sometimes his judgment. Or mm. it's that you have nothing you can say to God because you have been reprimanded by God and yeah. there is nothing you don't you don't have anything you can say. You you know, it's kinda like God has spoken, there's nothing you can say. <laughs> you know, and that and some so it's like it's kinda like let you know, there's a silence because nobody has anything they can say in their defense. So when silence is used, it has usually to do with the majesty of God, being in awe of God, being in awe of his judgment, um, something along those lines. It doesn't mean that you have to be quiet in order to connect with God. Now, on the same time, let me say this. There's nothing wrong with what people call quiet time. Many people will say, I have quiet time with God in the morning. So they, you know, they get up, they pray. Uh, maybe they read scripture and they pray some more. Or they read scripture and they ponder what they're reading and they're just being quiet. They're not, you know, they're not answering their phone. They don't have the radio on or whatever. They, they want quiet time to be with the Lord. That is perfectly biblical. And that is not what I'm talking about when I'm talking yeah. about the so-called discipline of silence, which is a whole other thing. Um, so... The, and being still and being silent are two of the main key components of the contemplative spiritual movement. And so they take the be still and know that I'm God. And actually in the New American Standard, it says cease striving. And if you read Psalm, it's from Psalm 4610. And if you read the whole Psalm, it's really about the sovereignty of God. And it's about God reminding everybody that he's in charge and that he is going to deal with the enemies of Israel, and Israel needs to trust him. And so it's basically, I think it was Spurgeon, it was Spurgeon or somebody who said about this particular passage, and the be still know that I am God, which is in the King James, and it is in some other translations, but many do not have be still. He, I think he, uh, somebody said, well, it's, like, it's basically saying, shut, shut up. God's saying, shut up and listen, and listen to me. <laughs> that's, that's kind of basically yeah. what it is. So it yeah. doesn't have anything to do with being physically still or connecting with God. Yeah. It doesn't even have anything to do with prayer. Yeah. Um, it, that actually reminds me of at the transfiguration. I love how the translators put an exclamation point at the end when God says, listen to him. Like there's an exclamation yes, point yes. there. Like you ha in order to listen, you have to just shut up, mm -hmm. like stop babbling about, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So they're, you know, 
that's that's a, a, a good example. That's misused quite often. Um, another one I've seen misused is um, not maybe not as often, but I did a Facebook post on it, so I remember it really well. I think it's the beginning. It's either the beginning of Revelation seven or Revelation in eight or Revelation eight. It says, and there was silence in heaven for half an hour. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's because they've had the preceding, I think, six. Um, you know, I can't remember if it's the bowls or, uh, you know, because they have the bowls uh, that are of wrath that are poured out, and they have the trumpets that are sounding and all of that. And I can't remember which it is, but it's after six of those I think have happened, and now the last one is going to be the 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 most dramatic and the strongest of God's judgment. And so there's an interval there. It gives us pause between what's come before and then what happens after. So if you read, you know, the chapter before, and then if you read that chapter all the way through, you can see what that means, why there's this, there was silence in heaven. Um, so it doesn't mean that we're supposed to be silent. This is, this is so misused. Um, anything. And then, and even in, um, there's a psalm that I recently talked about. Um, I can't remember which psalm it was, but it's something about be silent. But it's the same kind of thing. I think in this case, it had to do with God's, I'm not sure if it had to do with God's judgment. That may be, there's one in Hosea, I think that's like that. But if you read the, the context, you can understand what it means and you can see that it's not being silent for the sake of being silent or being silent so that you can be closer to God or hear from God. It's not any of those kind of things. You know, these are always connected to something going on and that the passage is, is describing and talking about. And it doesn't have to do with these practices that are being promoted. So there's nothing that the contemplative uh, prayer movement or the contemplative spirituality that we, we're seeing now that is promoted in scripture. Uh, now, sometimes people who are teaching these things will say things that are biblical. They will say things that are true. So not everything they say is wrong and not everything they say is bad. Sometimes they will say things that are biblical about, you know, growing in Christ or, or, um, something to do with, with, with knowing God, but the practices themselves and what they mainly promote and this idea that you have to practice the discipline of silence and the discipline of being still, especially those two, uh, are not promoted in scripture. There's nothing that promotes either of those. So when you have a movement in the church with leaders who are being quoted and read and respected, uh, like Ruth Haley Barton. And then there's a number of others, maybe lesser known people. There's someone named A.J. Sherrill, who also teaches the Enneagram, who's very, very big on the contemplative stuff and wrote a book um, on the Enneagram, but I think it incorporates a lot of contemplative stuff. And then there's um, another one, um, there's one actually called the Enneagram of Spiritual Discipline or something like that. I can't remember the author now. Uh, and there's another one I'm trying to think of. He has a ministry called Soul Shepherding. Bill Gaultier. Um, I'm not sure if he's written a book, but he has a ministry called Soul Shepherding. 
Um, he also promotes the Enneagram. And he teaches this contemplative spirituality. Now, I did a Facebook post on a teaching he did. I watched him teach this. What he does is he takes uh, what Jesus says, abide in me. He takes that statement from Jesus and he uses it to teach a contemplative practice of repeating this and breathing a certain way. This is another um, hallmark of the contemplative movement is that you have to breathe a certain way. So, you know, you sit still and then you, you breathe. They have different methods. So one is where you just have to breathe very slowly and you, all you do is listen to your breath. Oh, and I want to say at this point, what I should have said earlier, the influence of Eastern spirituality on the contemplative movement is very strong because the three Trappist monks who started it used uh, methods, techniques from Eastern meditation, from Hindu and Buddhist meditation. And they incorporated Mm -hmm. them along with the cloud of unknowing, which I've read, by the way. They incorporated those concepts into the contemplative prayer movement. And these ideas, of course, are based on this, on mysticism, which is very subjective, very inward oriented. And the main problem of the contemplative prayer movement, the main issue is not only that it's not biblically based and that it's very subjective, but it either overtly although more more subvertly and implicitly undermines the Bible and sound doctrine. And, of course, it undermines the Bible. One way it does that is by misusing scripture. But it also, it makes this false dichotomy between God's word as, as what we see in the Bible and hearing from God or a connection to God inwardly and subjectively. And so they make that superior to reading and studying the scripture. So reading and studying the scripture, they'll never say that's a bad thing. You know, they'll say, oh, yes, that's great. You know, read the Bible, study the Bible. But you're missing out and you're not really getting close to God if you just do that. And if you don't do something like one of these practices, that allows you to really connect with God and feel his presence and really know his love. And so you have to do one of these practices for that to happen. So you see the Bible isn't, the Bible isn't enough for your growth as a Christian. You have to have these practices on top of it. So it's, it's basically attacks the sufficiency of scripture. Yeah. I'm not surprised that you say that too, because I feel as though, uh, it, and maybe just from how I have uh, observed things in churches and what I've what we've experienced uh, with church hurt uh, and maybe spiritual abuse, is that they do not hold scripture. Uh, well, actually, I should say they they hold scripture to the authoritative word of God as the authoritative word of God, but they also carry along these other things that are at the same level. But anytime that they, anytime people go to those books, those authors, all all that kind of writing that take scripture out of, out of context, it seems as though, yeah, we keep them even, but really they're elevating it above scripture. And it's like, if scripture needs a supplement, you're not viewing scripture, right? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 um, they also have another form of reading scripture called Lectio Divina. Mm, so yeah. that's and that is often treated as though that's either necessary in addition to regular Bible reading and Bible study, or it's it's usually uh, it's implied that it's superior. So yeah. here again, they'll say, okay, fine, do Bible study or, or read, you know, just read the Bible. But in Lectio Divina, and it has certain steps that you go through, usually four main steps. And it's basically reading scripture very subjectively, almost as an esoteric book. So you read a passage, but you don't read the context and you don't consider the context. If you, even if you know the context of what you're reading, you don't consider that when you're reading it. You just read it, and then you let a word or phrase jump out at you. And whatever that word is that jumps out at you, that's the word you're supposed to ponder and reflect on. Um, some um, people who teach us will say repeat it in your mind, um, but you're supposed to ponder on that word because that's God speaking to you with that word. And so there's a message there for you if that word's jumping out at you. Well, you know, there's a lot of reasons that a word might jump out at you. You know, it might jump out at you because it's a word you don't, maybe you don't really know what it means. Maybe it's because it's a word you read recently in another passage. It might jump out at you. It might be a word you just like that jumps out at you. <laughs> maybe you just yeah. like that word. And so there are <laughs> well, a lot like of- Like the word abide. Huh? Like the word abide. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that, like, it's hard to not hear that in a church service anymore. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it, it might just be a word you've heard a lot or something. And you just, at the, whatever reason that word jumps out at you, it's, it it's, doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you're supposed to, like, contemplate that word. And it doesn't mean that that God is giving you some kind of message with that word. So, yeah. It's uh, it's it's completely, it's just completely random, and that. But yet, that is taken seriously, and people are practicing this, and they are actually thinking that this is a word God God is giving me this word, and so you know, and they do other things where they think God's giving them something. Maybe it's just something they they hear in their mind, or they think God is telling them when they're sitting there quietly and and and. Um, in a, in a position where they're being still, um, they think maybe, oh, God, God is telling me this. And so you're not basing the communication with God on God's word. And what, and what does the Bible teach us? It teaches us the Holy Spirit illuminates scripture and teaches us what God's word is telling us. You read the Bible as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is our guide through God's word. The Holy Spirit, you know, wrote God's word. God used the Holy Spirit to inspire scripture. And so the Holy Spirit aids Christians as they read scripture and gives you understanding. It's not an esoteric secret thing like you're reading this passage and it's like, oh, wow, yeah. this has a completely different meaning than what I learned in Sunday school. <laughs> it's not that kind yeah, of thing. Yep. But it's but it's like it, 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 it increases your understanding or it deepens your understanding. Um, yeah. Anytime I hear that there's this uh, a secret thing that I may not 
be aware of, or I just yeah. don't understand, I automatically suspect it. Yes. yes. Because there, there's been so many conversations I've had with uh, church leadership where it's like, well, we, we are in a position where we don't have to explain it. And instead of saying that, they say things like, well, that's not, maybe that's not for you to, to know that. Yeah. See, that's, well, well, I don't, I don't think that's, yeah. (laughs) Really? So God, God gave us the Bible, but there's some things in there as Christians that maybe we're not supposed to know, or we don't, we're not ready for it yet. You know, really? That's like what you're told in the new age. Well, you're not ready for that yet. You know, you have to, you haven't gotten to the point yet where you can really see, see that truth or whatever it is. So you've got this kind of hidden stuff and, and the, and the, and the contemplative, um, spirituality movement operates like that because they will say things like, you know, some people just aren't ready to do that yet. Or, you know, you have to do this many times before you can really get, get out of it what you're supposed to. Yeah. And that reminds me of, of, you know, one of the big issues that we've had is uh, accountability, being held accountable for what you, what you've been doing and all that. And it seemed as though, um, that was used as an excuse. Ah, to okay, you did wrong. Like you need to correct this, but it's like, well, we don't. We may not understand everything about God. It's like, no, pretty clear in Scripture that what you're do- <laughs> what you're doing is not uh, something that you should be doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they're like, well, yeah, that's that. What you just said there, that the answer would be, well, you know, you don't. We don't understand everything about God, so. You know, that's why you're not getting it. You know, that's why you're thinking that what we're doing maybe isn't really biblical. Yeah. Well, you don't really, you know, we don't really understand. There are these things that God's doing and we don't understand. So we just kind of accept it. And that, of course, is not scriptural. We're supposed to measure everything, measure teachings and practices um, that are being presented as Christian according to the Bible. And it, if it cannot be supported, uh, and it's being told that that's something we should do, then you've really got an issue there. Because the yeah. Bible is sufficient. It says it's sufficient for our, our practice and growth as a Christian. Um, it's God's word. He has chosen to reveal what's revealed. And he hasn't revealed more than that. Now, you, yes, there's more you can always learn as you study the Bible. But he hasn't revealed anything clear-cut that you need as a Christian beyond scripture. And here again, this doesn't mean you can't use things outside of scripture that are compatible with scripture that would be helpful. But in terms of just the knowledge of God and what God wants us to know, he's made it very clear that it's all contained in scripture. And so why would God give us a guide like that and not tell us everything or hold things back? Like, well, yeah, yeah, you know, I've kind of told you everything, but there's some things that <laughs> I'm not telling you, but you're going to kind of have to figure out yourself. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. yep. it's this esoteric kind of thing. And that you do find that in this contemplative spirituality. You find that kind of esoteric, hidden knowledge kind of thing and inner knowledge. And so somebody might say, well, this is what I felt God was telling me. This is what I experienced when I was you know, practicing my, my being silent uh, before the Lord. Uh, and and then you might point out, but, you know, Scripture says, really, this is what you should be doing or that you shouldn't be doing that. 
And then the person might say, yes, but that's, you know, that's in the script. That's written down there in black and white. And you have to go beyond that. You know, I've gone beyond that. And now I'm, you know, having this communion with the Lord where he's showing me something new or something different or something else. But, and that's the whole problem. See, it opens this door to something other than scripture that is not always scriptural. And in, in most cases it isn't. And yeah. that's in the right. church. And it's so, it's so disguised as Christian and seems so, you know, like, well, this is a Christian thing going on that it's incredibly deceptive. Yeah. I, I've, uh, Oh, can you mute that? It's echoing. No. Can you go, uh, down to the room then? No, I don't. So you can still hear her. So you, okay. No, whatever. Um, what was I going to say now? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so, uh, I've been doing a study on the book of Galatians, uh, cause I'm going to be developing a, a Bible study on that. And in the intro, like in the very first chapter, the very one of the very first things he says is like, wow, how quickly you guys have been duped. Like you, yes. you guys got into this and you like and he says uh, he writes that, hey, even if like an angel of light comes and and tells you a different gospel and he even says, even if I come to you with a different a different rendition of this gospel, that they are anathema, that they are they are accursed. And he said, basically in saying that, he's saying, I'm putting myself under this umbrella, that if this gospel is changed in any way, they are anathema. Now, the word anathema is, uh, the, in Hebrew, it's the same thing as the harem. Now, the harem is when, you know, Joshua is going into uh, uh, to Jericho, and everything in Jericho is, is dedicated to the Lord. The word harem is... Uh, translated as dedicate to the Lord. Uh-huh, and right. part of that, part of that is to its destruction, mm, you know, and, mm-hmm, and, you know, mm-hmm. it's no longer anything to do with the life of a person that is following Yahweh, that is following Christ. And Paul writes, if anybody changes the gospel, that's what that is. That's the result. So it, it gets me, it gets me so frightened. It, it scares me a little bit. That when it comes to the church and they have things like the Enneagram, the contemplative uh, prayer and, and spirituality and all this other stuff, uh, it, it's, it worries me. What kind of choices are we making here when it comes to what is the true gospel? Who is the real Jesus? Yeah. And are we elevating something to equal him or uh, putting him above? The, and, and bringing up the transfiguration earlier when the disciples were like, oh, well, Peter's like, we'll make a, we'll make a tent, a, a place to worship mm-hmm. uh, Elijah, Moses, and you. And it's like, no, it, Jesus is like, uh, well, I mean, when God comes down in the cloud and he's like, no, you're not going to equate my son as someone like Moses and Elijah. He is far more uh, than, he's the, he's the fulfillment of what Moses gave us, the, the right. law. And what what Elijah is all about the the fulfillment of the prophecy uh, the prophets he is not the same and we're trying to equate Jesus as something just like what they were doing 
making it equal to all this other stuff. Yeah, and Jesus does get, you know, he very much gets, um, oh, whoops. Um, he very much gets um, lost in this because when you read, um, you know, I've read these books and I recently read um, two books by Ruth Haley Barton and wrote articles on them. And uh, I, ba- I basically wrote one article on both books, but it's a two-part article. But I write about both books in that two-part article. And uh, she, some of the things she says, when you're reading it, first of all, I see the misuse of scripture a lot. But then you're also reading it. You, I did not feel like I was reading a Christian book. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't connecting me to scripture. It wasn't connecting me to uh, things that I know about Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, from scripture. And, you know, my growth as a Christian, it's like this whole other, it's like this alternative to, to Christianity. It's like this other kind of Christianity. And, and it just, it's, it, it was very strange reading, reading um, these two books. It was very difficult to read them. One of them is on solitude and silence. And the other one is the um, spiritual um, rhythms book that's very, very popular. Oh. One of her most influential books. Who is this author again? Ruth Haley Barton. She is one of the most influential people in the contemplative spirituality uh, that I'm, I'm calling I'm now saints contemplative spirituality or contemplative spiritual movement in the church. She's one of the most influential and hmm. she actually went to uh, when Willow Creek was switching over from its, its previous mega church tactics, it became went contemplative is what it did. And Ruth Haley Barton was at the church and she went to Shalem Institute which is in the Washington, D.C. area, and got trained there. It is a school to train spiritual directors in the contemplative spirituality. It's very interfaith. A lot of the books they recommend are not even Christian. And and guess, and this is going to be very, this is very important for people to know. Ruth Haley Barton's mentor was a Buddhist. Now think about that. She's a teacher in the church, but her mentor was this woman who had become a Buddhist and she had gotten this special status within the Buddhist lineage that she was following. She had gotten a special status. And uh, so she was like kind of a teacher. She had this teacher status. She was mentoring Ruth Haley Barton. And this is Buddhism. It has nothing to do with Christianity. There is nothing. Now, you know, I mentioned earlier how I was following, you know, Buddhist ideas for many years. There is nothing in Buddhism that's compatible with Christianity. There's things that sound like they're compatible, you know, like the like Buddha taught compassion. And Christians might think, oh, well, you know, Christians are supposed to be compassionate. But what Buddha, what compassion means in Buddhism is not the same thing. And that it means in Christianity. So people hear some words that sound Christian or concepts that might be Christian. Like, oh, we can learn some things from, from Buddhism maybe that have the same values. There isn't anything. Because the whole basis of the worldview of Buddhism is that this world doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, how can yeah. you be a Christian 
and and grow as a Christian in this world and and follow anything in Scripture if you think this is all an illusion and the only thing that exists is Buddha mind. And you don't even exist. Yourself doesn't exist. You, Dominic, and you, Danielle, don't actually exist. <laughs> you, you think you exist. Your concept of self is a construct based on a false reality. So yeah. there is nothing compatible. But that was her mentor. Hmm. So this is, I think, another That's, reason I had that yeah. feeling when I was reading her books that there's nothing in here that is is really truly Christian. So I wanted to uh, shift to something else, but I have a question before we do that. Okay. Um, do you know Do you know anything about uh, the Ignatian examine? I did look that up, and I I think I even did a post on it. Um, I had the book, but I I got rid of it. I'd never read it, so I. I mean, it's another thing that's part of this contemplative movement that's become more popular. It's another set of practices. Yeah, Um, that might have been why I didn't read it. Yeah, and it includes some of the things I've I've been talking about, although it may give it different terms. Um, I don't remember specifically now, but I know that some parts of it sound okay. And if you took it at face value, those parts of it might be okay. But then other parts of it are more of this contemplative um, outlook. So that is just another form of it that's entered the church along with everything else that, you know, it's bringing a lot of different components. Uh, There are a lot of components to this contemplative spirituality. It's not just one thing. They tend to be similar and they tend to have certain overlaps, um, but they may have different faces, you know, they may look different. It's a, it's a buffet table. It's a what? A buffet. Yeah. Just take whatever, yeah. Somewhat, yeah, somewhat. Although on a buffet, you can have things that are very different. Like you can have fruit versus, you know, a vegetable or something like that. Of course, they're both food. But on this, they're kind of all based the same thing, but they're different faces of the same thing, maybe is what I'm trying to say. That they'll all go back to the same thing, is what I'm trying to say. They'll all go back to the same thing. Yeah. Um, So how much time... Do we have left? Um, I think so. My voice is kind of beginning to give out. I don't know if you're, are you asking Danielle or me? I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, you, you, no, I was asking you. Yeah. Um, I could probably talk another, um, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's good. Uh, cause to what I wanted to ask you about is responding to when Christians, uh, are defending these types of practices. Uh, and two two things that I hear most is the the first one, but it works. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And and the second one is well, God can redeem things. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you can if you can give your insight on those, yeah, on how to respond maybe. Um, to. Yeah, let me um, let me do that because both of those are things I've heard for many things that I discuss, of course. And um, so the you had it works okay that was one of them right and the yeah, other the is God can is, redeem everything works. yeah yeah okay so as far as well it works or it works for me <clears throat> my response to that is our criteria as Christians shouldn't be whether it works or not or whether we think it works our criteria needs to be is this based in truth. And, of course, by truth, we're measuring truth by God's word. 
So is this based in actual truth that's revealed in scripture? If it's claiming to be Christian, a Christian practice, then there needs to be scriptural support for it. Solid scriptural support. Um, If there isn't that, then what are you basing it on? What kind of quote-unquote truth are you basing it on? So whether it works or not is not the measure because a lot of things that are either false can work. A lot of things that are evil can work or seem to work. Okay, a lot of things in the occult and the new age quote-unquote work. Um, How are they working? Well, different reasons. There could be different reasons for that. But if they're not based on truth or if they're incompatible with, with God's revelation, then we, we cannot use that as a spiritual practice or a spiritual mm-hmm. tool because it is going to be destructive in our lives as a Christian. Because it's going to be, especially if it's based on something that is opposed to God, like if it's based on a New Age concept, for example, yeah. Or it's based on a subjective kind of thing. You know, I'm going to do this, and if I feel this way, then then that means X, Y, Z. And 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 if it's based on some kind of spirituality, you're doing a practice like the guided visualization or guided imagery, and you think you're getting truth from that. Well, you you can't get truth from that because that's a a, a method that is altering the way you're you're receiving information in your mind and the way you're perceiving it. And so you're, you're not basing it on something objective. You're, and it's based, it's a subjective thing. So the fact that it works can't be the, the criteria, can't be the criteria or the main criteria. Yeah. Um, and I think I'll add too, I, that's not to say that we're denying people's experiences. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm supposed to do some eye drops in my eyes, but I I put it on snooze, so <laughs> well, well, uh, you know, it'll it'll I think go off again in another ten minutes. Yeah, so I that is one of the most common things that you hear. It works, or it helped me. It helped me is another one. Yeah, or it helped yeah. me. Yeah, or it helped my marriage or something like that. And that in the case of maybe the enneagram. So yeah. you know, I go back to the same thing. That's not the criteria because sometimes things can help you also sometimes things can help you temporarily but in the long run they're not going to be helpful or they may help you temporarily but there's a spiritual cost involved and the problem is you don't see the spiritual cost immediately so that's that's my several part answer to that and then the other one uh but god god redeem it or god can redeem everything Um, what we have to look at, what does God say about what he redeems? And redemption in the Bible, first of all, is salvation and uh, from the penalty of sins through faith in Christ. So redemption has to do with that. Redemption has to do with God also restoring creation, which scripture talks about. So new heavens and new earth, God restoring everything. Uh, no more, you know, sin, no more Sadness, no more death, etc. So God is redeeming things that he made, creation. He's redeeming people through faith in Christ. He does not redeem evil practices. God doesn't redeem uh, lying. He doesn't redeem cheating. He doesn't redeem uh, using yeah. uh, the Ouija board, you know, contacting the dead, astrology, 
uh, palm reading, numerology, for all forms of divination or sorcery. God doesn't redeem those. Uh, now, there's this idea, this false idea in the church that all these practices, some of these practices I mentioned, like um, astrology or maybe palm reading or something or tarot card reading, that somehow those are counterfeits of something God's given us. But if Yeah, God's like you stole it from Christianity. Yeah, Christianity. yeah, it was stolen. Yeah. It was stolen by Satan. Yeah. The thing is, where do you see that God's given us those things? There's no, there's yeah. nothing in scripture that says anything about people in the Old Testament maybe using any of those practices in a good way. God's condemning them from the very beginning. <clears throat> and yeah. if there was some kind of origin that was from the Lord, we, we could see it in scripture. <clears throat> also, those practices such as astrology, tarot card reading, etc., and those are practices that are based on <clears throat> my voice is going, I'm sorry, <clears throat> are are based on the worship of false gods. And if you go to Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 and 11, or read the passage verses 9 through 14, where God is speaking um, through Moses and saying, as we enter this land, you are not to do these practices. You do not sacrifice your child. It's interesting that's included in there along with casting spells, uh, doing divination, contacting the dead, yeah. spirit contact. All of those things are condemned because those were practices, spiritual practices done by the people who had rejected God. And that was how they felt they were getting communication from their God. And how they were, you know, were getting information from their God and they would look for, you know, messages in creation, like in, you know, in the sky or, or whatever. And, and they're doing divination for that. God doesn't redeem any of those. Those are completely destroyed. And as you mentioned with that word earlier, that Hebrew the, word, here I am. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. remember many times, um, he had Joshua do this and he had Gideon do this. He had them smash idols. He had yeah. them destroy, you know, the idols that people use to worship their gods. And that was a destruction. He didn't say, well, take that idol and refashion it, you know, and, you know, use it in my, in my temple or something like that. It was destroyed, this idol. I mean, there are certain things God deems need to be destroyed. And those mm -hmm. are not going to be redeemed. So there's things that are going to be redeemed and things that are going to be destroyed, like death, and these things that are against God and are not compatible with the Lord and what he's revealed are going to be destroyed. Yeah. And we can probably go on and on about that, <laughs> that too, because <laughs> I'm thinking like, you know, what's the whole purpose of baptism? You know, when we go down into the grave and we come back up alive in Christ, you know, it's that symbol of things being dead and gone and destroyed, you know, and what's the whole thing in, in the New Testament that we are a new creation, right? The old is gone. Well, we're people, come, you know, God created yeah. us. We're, 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 we're yeah. human beings created in the image of God and God does redeem people. And my um, co-author on the Enneagram book, Don Vino has this thing. He says, yeah, when, we love we Don. deal with, we, Oh, Oh, you know, Don, Yeah, when you, yeah, we were on his show a while back. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's great. Um, one of the things he points out is God, re- for example, he gives us as an example, God redeems prostitutes, but he doesn't redeem prostitution. Yeah. There's no yep. Christian use of pro- prostitution, but God yeah. redeems prostitutes. So there's a distinction there between a person and who they are being redeemed and a practice that is completely abhorrent to God and is forbidden and is not going to be redeemed. So I think that's a really good example. I've said before, uh, you know, just because you slap Christian at the beginning of it doesn't make it redeemed. It doesn't make it Christian. Uh, if that's the case, why don't we just call it Christian pornography and that'll get rid of a whole lot of issues. Exactly. You know? <laughs> we, we could have all kinds of things become Christian and, you know, yeah. then there would be, you know, then it would be like, oh, yeah, there's hardly anything that's really bad. We can just make it Christian, you know. <laughs> so that yeah. that's a yep. big problem <clears throat> in yeah. certain areas of the church right now, this idea that you can redeem these things. And they can't support it with scripture, though. You cannot support it with scripture. In fact, you can refute it with scripture. So, yeah, oh, we could keep going, but yeah, we gotta, I should probably eat lunch. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> when we were talking about food earlier, I was like, oh, man. I know I think I'm going to eat something too. Cause I had a really yeah. quick breakfast since I got up so late and uh, my voice is going anyway, it would probably give out pretty soon. Yeah. Um, but I really, yeah. this, you know, I hope that I did a, um, you know, a, a, a helpful job on the contemplative spirituality because there's really a lot to say. And I was kind of going along with it as it came to me and as we got to certain areas, yeah. trying to address those areas. So I hope that it um, makes sense to people. Um, I do have articles on my website. Like I have an article on the Be Still passage from Psalm 46. And I have an article on contemplative prayer. I have an article on Thomas Keating. I have an article on, I didn't mention the Be Still DVD that was put out by Dallas Willard and Richard Foster. Um, And that DVD was basically introducing the contemplative prayer practice for evangelicals. And I, I think that was around 2005 or 2006. And I have an article on that on my website on it's, it's called the Be Still DVD. And so I write about how they try to introduce those concepts and make it seem like you need them and make it seem like they're Christian, but they're really not. Yeah. So all that information is on your website. Uh, it's Christian Answers for the New Age dot org. org? Is yeah, it, right or, now. Yeah. yeah, right now. That's, yeah. that's where it is, right? Yeah, well, for now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so any, any information that, uh, if you're interested in what Marsha does, I'll have that in the info of this episode, probably two episodes. Um, yeah, this is by, at this point, this is the second episode. Yeah, it looks like two hours. Yeah. Um, so anything else, uh, that you want to hear, it'll be in the info. Uh, so thank you very much, Marsha. This is, this was an excellent conversation. Um, our little one is up from her nap. I see that. So I we, was just going to yeah, say, I see a I little one there who's ready, ready probably to do <laughs> wait anymore. <laughs> She's got to put a pillow yeah. on her head there. So <laughs> yeah, playing around. She's our, She's our uh, our challenge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm sure she's. Uh, yeah, she's she she's very, a bundle. Very yeah. feisty. <laughs> <laughs> We oh, have we, so we have so we have four kids. Oh, you have and, four. Uh, our third, we have four. Yes. Oh my uh, goodness. Our oldest is thirteen. Well, you're an old um, hand at it, but, then. 
<laughs> uh, but yeah, it, we when we had our third child, it was like, oh, she's like asking to go down for a nap. Of course you can, yeah. So we're like, oh yeah, we can we can have another one. So we had her, and it was like, what? Like, oh my goodness, like this is completely different. Like, like she was very well behaved. Yeah, she was. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden we have this one. It's like, nope, I am not taking a nap. And very strong willed. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's not not that easy yeah. anymore. <laughs> back to work. <laughs> yeah. Yep, back to work. <laughs> well, I really enjoyed it, yeah. and I'd be happy to be on for other topics if you ever want to do that. So please feel oh, free be to excellent. ask. Me. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for for everything. Well, thank you for doing this, yeah. and just send me a link or let me know when it's up, and I'll yeah, I'll send you the links and everything. Okay. Yep. All right. Wonderful. Nice to meet you, Dominic, and nice to meet you, Danielle. And what's your little one's name there? That one's Gemma. Gemma? Yeah, Hi, Gemma. Gemma Dominica. Hey, Gemma. She's <laughs> <laughs> covering her face with Don't be offended. She does that to me, too. Oh, yeah. no, I'm, I'm not. Believe me. I, you know, she's really young. So, okay. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. All right. <laughs>